You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. When the righteous prosper, a city rejoices. And uh, I believe over the next few weeks, it's, it's not just something that we're just going to preach on to entertain ourselves. I feel a lot of times, you know, as I spoke with Jesse, uh, or Ben happens to be sitting there right now. Um, I spoke with Jesse, though, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to just be preaching to just fill time. It's, it's far too easy to do that, just to open up the Bible, and you can preach anything. And because it's from God's Word, it, it can apply to us in some way. But I really feel like in this next season of our church, one of the key things is recognizing how the gospel integrates into our lives outside of just Sunday morning, outside of just our um, escape from the world that we live in. Jesus says, you're not of this world, but then it's interesting. He also says in John chapter 17, God, as you sent me, Father, as you sent me, now I send them into the world. In other words, Christianity is an escape from the world around us, but we have to be able to integrate into the culture that we live in as salt and light, Jesus tells us, to redeem it. So I've got incredible news. Whether you uh, work for a bank, whether you cut hair, you own a construction company, uh, maybe you have a business aspiration, studying to be a doctor, a neurosurgeon, or any of the like. Whatever that is, we believe that the gospel can shape the way that we live. It can shape our lives. It's not only can, but it should. Um, when we become a disciple of Christ, it has to go beyond mere intellect. It has to shape everything that we do. And that doesn't mean uh, giving out stickers that says Jesus loves you everywhere you go and work. Don't worry. Um, I think that would probably be a turnoff if you own a construction business and uh, after you're done, you hand a person a sticker. So we're going to talk a little bit beyond um, tagging Jesus' names of things, but actually really trying to dive in and, and understand, God, what does this look like? What does the gospel look like in my life and my trade? One of the interesting things uh, in the scripture is that the first time that the Holy Spirit is actually ever mentioned um, in regards to filling a person or indwelling a person, it was not a priest. It was not a prophet. It was, uh, it was not a king. It was actually craftsmen. It was actually people that worked in the arts. That's something that uh, we've kind of lost in the church today. We think about the Holy Spirit as confined to a church. And I, I believe that over the next few weeks, we're going to really begin to look at how God uh, wants to use us in our workplace, which I think is going to be a phenomenal time. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. And this, because next week we start our series on rejoicing a city. And I really hope we would rejoice a city. You know, there's nothing more depressing than singing a song about dancing for the Lord when no one dances. I always thought that was contradictory. You hear songs, it's like, Lord, I lift up my hands, or I, you know, I kneel before you. You ever catch yourself singing those songs? Like, Lord, you know, we, we kneel, whatever it is, you know. Like, Lord, like, uh, what is that one? How great, we stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord. We look around and everyone's like, To me, there would be nothing worse than preaching a series on rejoicing the city, and then we leave from here looking more depressed than we came. So I really pray that God just speaks to us um, over the next few weeks and pray that he gives us a vision. Isaiah chapter 55, I'm going to preach for a few minutes on snow because I know you love snow. Who who loves snow? Awesome. All right, who doesn't like snow? Yeah, I'm probably right between both of them. I'm, I'm ready to move. I'm not moving. I didn't say I'm moving. I'm ready to move to Hawaii, though. I just don't know why why we colonized the Northeast uh, Pennsylvania and Northeast Territory. I know this is the first place you got off on the boat, many of our ancestors, including my own. But let's, get, let's go west, guys. Let's just pack up and leave. That's my message today. Amen? Amen. Let's get out of this place. This thing's we're going to hell in a handbasket, and it's cold. All right. Isaiah chapter 55. I, let's, uh, let's, let's 
Let's work through this. Verse 6. In the seat back in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah says to us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Wow. That's, that's sorry, it just overtakes me right there. Abundantly pardon. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. This is interesting. Watch this. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress, Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make the name of the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's a powerful text here. Did anybody catch the contradiction to our natural mind that Isaiah says? For as rain and snow comes down from heaven and does not return but waters the earth. And then what does he go on to say in verse 13, right at the end? Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of a briar shall come up the myrtle. That's... You ever hear somebody trying to exaggerate something for the point of trying to, make, you know, trying to make a point? Something that's, it's, it's not really, it's, it's almost so diametrically opposed, it's polar opposite for the intent on making a point. Jesus, or uh, technically Jesus, but Isaiah through, uh, through the Spirit of the Lord says this to us, that the Word of God's like water or snow that comes down on briars or thorns. I'm not a big fan of thorns. I don't know if anyone's a big fan of thorns. Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. Okay. I'm a big fan of thorns. You can prick yourself, and then you get blood, and the whole thing rips your shirt, and then you're standing there in your underpants out in this cold. There's nothing, there's nothing about that. It's interesting, though, because he says that the snow comes down on, on briars, but yet what comes up? The word of the Lord, like snow, sits down on thorns, and it grows up a cypress. If, if, to the natural mind, I mean, this is something we should look and go, that's impossible. Snow landing on thorns and making a cypress tree. Or snow landing down on briars and a myrtle tree comes up. Uh, I'm not a big fan of planting things. Um, I tried to garden this past year and it lasted all but a week. Now, I actually didn't even last a week. I mowed the grass, I cut the dirt up, and I couldn't even get the seeds in time. I'm not a big fan of planting is what I'm trying to say. I'm not a big fan of the process. Um, the, the, the most success I've ever had was the lima bean and the cup you get when you're in school. The contrast that he's showing us here is really interesting, and I, and I want you to see this. He's saying that the word of the Lord, God's word, lands on, us, on briars or thorns. Briars or thorns. And then what comes up? A myrtle tree. If you were listening to somebody say that, uh, it, it would be so foreign to our thoughts or imagination to be like somebody saying that 
you know, they just ran into, a, you know, a three-headed monster. We'd go, yeah, it just doesn't happen. Yet the prophet Isaiah says when the word of the Lord comes, it comes like snow and it sits and then it transforms. What I want you to see here is that the prophet Isaiah tells us that the word of God, Christianity as a whole, is birthed and centered around God's spirit, taking impossible situations and transforming them or restoring them or making them right to what they're intended on being. Think about that. As the word of God is snow or water, if you water a briar bush or you water thorns, how many people know you don't get a cypress tree? If you water briars, you get... Okay, it's going to be long if you don't work with me. If you water briars, you get briars. If you water thorns, you get thorns. You don't water thorns and come back and go, oh, myrtle tree, that's kind of cool. Wow, you know, it snowed outside. So how was your Christmas? It was really great. We had all these thorns in the back of our yard. I came out, oh, we got a, we got a forest of myrtle trees. Pretty wild. I was climbing one this past weekend. We'd go, all right, take a break. You know, what, what, did, what did you get for Christmas? You might want to return that. The, the prophet Isaiah is showing us here that God's word is creative. That when God speaks something, he doesn't use the natural equation of briars plus water equals more briars. He's trying to say that when the word of God arrives in a situation, it changes or transforms or maybe better said, restores it to what it's intended on being. He's saying that an impossible situation of briars or thorns, which if we look at our lives, we understand that Christianity is centered around God's word, not being mere intellect, but transforming the environment to which it touched. So Jesus says it to us like this in John chapter 5. And you, you can turn there if you want, but I'll just reference it. John chapter 5, Jesus looks at the teachers of the law and he says, you, you search the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have eternal life. You refuse to come to me. This is really interesting. You search the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have eternal life, but yet you refuse to come to me. Jesus says something so profound there, because it's almost like, you know, growing up, if you went to Sunday school, if you went to any catechism or anything like that, maybe in the Catholic Church or uh, anything like that, or your mom just made you watch uh, terrible cartoons on TV, uh, I don't know, whatever it was that taught you this, though, if I, if I said to you, do you understand the Bible? And we would think that is the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is to hear and receive and understand. And if I get that, I'm in. And I'm not saying that as a person that doesn't like theology. Go look at my bookcase. It's, it's packed full. That's all I read nonstop. But Jesus says you search the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have eternal life. Well, today I would think, what else are you going to preach? We don't have eternal life by the scriptures. And Jesus says, but you refuse to come to me. He tells us that these scriptures prophesy of him, testify of him. When I was younger, I used to go to the public swimming pool, which I kind of feel weird about and semi-dirty and wash myself twice in the shower because of that. Um, but when I was younger, you'd go to the public swimming pool. Do you remember that? And you'd, you'd get out, and everyone always said the kiddie pool was warmer because it was shallow. Well, there's more to this story. But you'd, you'd, you'd swim. And I remember the first time I'd go to the diving board, and I thought the diving board was so big. And you'd walk out on it, and you'd go to the edge of the diving board, and you'd look, and there was water right there. And you know, and I didn't even know what was so exciting about it. I just saw that people were bigger than me, and they'd go to the edge of the diving board, and they'd jump as high and as far as they could, and they'd hit the water, and then they'd swim for their, their life to get to the ladder. 
But every once in a while, there was somebody that would go right up to the edge of the diving board. Maybe you're them. Maybe you're still shamed about this. We'll work through it later. You'd go, they'd go right up to the edge of the diving board, and they'd stop and stare and look. And then, then you'd kind of feel the awkwardness for them. You'd feel the pressure begin to mount behind them. And then they would either go for it, they'd jump, or they'd just break down in tears and turn around. And there's nothing more embarrassing than going down backwards on a ladder off a diving board. The Word of God is a platform or a diving board to which it testifies. In our church, even here, we have multiple different types of persuasions and the way that people view the Scripture, and it's interesting. So many times we're practical Christian deists. We believe that God did something, that he started the earth, maybe he created this thing. He spins the earth, lets it go on its own now, and occasionally, like a man spinning a basketball, occasionally interrupts and makes sure that it's on course, but on really on practical everyday level. He's just, nah, he's not really here. You know, we kind of pray the, the prayers, we just kind of throw them up, hope he catches one here and there, but realistically, we don't think he's actually involved. I mean, we see God's scripture, we open it up, and we hear these verses, but when it really comes out of practically, and listen, this flushes out in all different types of ways, because maybe you hear something like that, you go, well, no, that's not what I believe. I believe he's here presently. But if we really went into the surface of our hearts, we start to recognize that a lot of times we have more faith for somebody else than for ourselves. So if somebody else has a situation, we go, hmm, God's right there, go get him, tiger. But when it comes down to our own hearts, we start recognizing, I'm not really sure if this thing, I'm not sure how deep I go we open up our hearts and we really lay it bare, we understand that God's standard of what he's showing us in the scripture is so much higher than our experience lets us confirm or whatever. When I read this scripture, this is God's word. I was watching an interview this past week between Christopher Hitchens and Douglas Wilson, an evangelical pastor. Christopher Hitchens uh, is a renowned atheist. It was really interesting. They sat down and they were on CNN and Christopher Hitchens, of course, has since passed, so this is a, a little bit older interview. And they were talking about, does God exist? And they did a really wonderful documentary on between Christianity and atheism. It's, and they're sitting there, and they said, you know, uh, Pastor Wilson, so, you know, you're an evangelical. You believe in the Bible. Um, you believe in Noah's Ark and um, a snake talking in the garden. You believe in a virgin birth. And he said, well, I, I am a Christian. I believe that. And they said, well, uh, you know, Dr. Hitchens or Christopher, you know, do you, do you believe in that? He's like, well, if you're telling me to believe in, you know, a virgin giving birth, absolutely not. You're telling me that the Red Sea was parted, absolutely not. That's just absolutely ludicrous to think any of that happened. And it's interesting because when you hear both of these sides, you have one man that says, yeah, I absolutely believe in I'm a Christian, another person that's an atheist. And the truth is, I'm absolutely sympathetic. I'm absolutely sympathetic with the atheist there. I absolutely am. Because outside of God's miraculous move, I have to admit, it's a little wacky to believe in a virgin birth. All right, I'm not sure you struggle with that. I do. If God's word can't take thorns and turn them into myrtle bushes, if God's word can't take a briar and turn that into a cypress tree, then I'm in trouble. But what, here's, here's the checkout, though, because the, the truth is most of us can theologically align ourselves, and I can say, what is the Trinity? And then we go, 
Well, the Trinity is the three persons of the Godhead eternally existing. Okay, great. You understand the Trinity. What is substitutionary atonement? God takes our place on the cross. Wonderful. What is the infilling of the Holy Spirit? God's Spirit indwells us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And because he's been raised, so will be raised. And we can check off all the dots theologically and we feel like, man, I'm in. But yet, when it comes down to our lives, practically, there's a disconnect. And something that I'm, I'm not encouraging you towards atheism. I don't think that's the proper response to throw baby out with the bathwater, but I think what is the response is that we should allow God's words to transform us, God's word to transform us, the standard that he has set, let it be our standard rather than lowering it down to our experience. If you take, uh, I don't want to use that as an analogy, compromising truth or bending truth just back a little bit for the sake of comfortability, robs of it, not only of its integrity, but of its power. Turn with me to John chapter 16, just for a few moments. I was meditating on this scripture, and I thought this is um, really interesting. I know I'm kind of walking a large circle here this morning, but I believe it will come together here in just a moment. John chapter 16 Jesus is talking to his disciples right towards the end of his life, and he says this. We'll start at verse 5. Jesus says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, being the Holy Spirit, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the rule over the world is judged. We're going to unpack this. This is interesting. Jesus says to them, hey guys, I'm leaving you now. I'm going away. Now, interestingly enough, the disciples at that time had no clue Jesus was going to be crucified. That was a surprise to the disciples. And if I can walk you through that later if you need that. But Jesus, it was a total surprise. The disciples had no clue that Jesus was going to be crucified. They had no clue. Jesus, that's why over and over and over in the New Testament, he would say, like, you know, I'm going to be leaving soon. They go, well, where are you going? What do you mean you're leaving us? They had no clue because the Jewish framework of that, of that time was this, that when Jesus would come, or quote-unquote the Messiah would show up, they were expecting him to be a conquering king and really to blow up Roman tyranny, set up the literal physical kingdom of God, namely the kingdom of Israel for them. Everything would be made plain. Everything's good. So Jesus goes, guys, I'm leaving. And they go, well, what do you mean? And sorrow fills their heart. Now, why do you think sorrow would fill their heart? Imagine if Jesus in his literal physical body walked with you for three and a half years. You left your old job, as the disciples did. You walked with him for three and a half years, performing miracles everywhere he went. The being raised, the blind's eyes opening. That's crazy. Anyone hear that? Don't worry, it's a heater. Everyone's like, what's going on? For three and a half years, 
And Jesus goes, okay, guys, I'm leaving. And they go, well, no, you're, you're not leaving. See, because when Peter's mother-in-law was sick, what did Jesus do? Heal her. When Lazarus died, what did he do? Raise him from the dead. When Mary, as most scholars believe, was full of demons, what did he do? Cast him out. So the moment Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving, the scripture says, and sorrow filled their hearts. I won't elaborate on that any more than we need to, but sorrow hurts. This isn't like a friend coming into town for a few days and then leaving. Okay, I got to go. Um, you're leaving. No, sorrow filled their hearts. And then Jesus says something so profound in that moment. He goes this, and it's to your advantage that I leave. I know sports analogies aren't best for everyone in the building, so I'll try to use something else here in a moment. But when you, you ever play basketball or football and you have an unfair advantage, or do you ever see like the, the kid in seventh grade versus the kids in fourth grade? And you think, that's so sad. You're getting your identity from beating those kids. It's real sad. You're going to have to work through that in the future. It's just, it's a lot. Isn't it? But when you, when you get into something, when you realize you've got an unfair advantage, or vice versa, you start playing a game, and the other people on the other side have an unfair advantage, and you realize there's no chance that I'm going to win this thing. It's done. I might as well just, we're done. Because we've got an unfair advantage in this whole equation here. It's not even worth trying to show up for the game or the fight or the battle you're in war. It's not even worth showing up for. And Jesus combats the first thing. It says, I'm leaving and sorrow fills their hearts. And then the next thing he goes, but it's to your advantage that I go. I can't even wrap my mind around this. Because when I was younger, when we'd play basketball, when nobody's looking, we'd lower the rim so I could whoa, dunk it, right? Then I'd get into a real game. It was like 10 foot high, and I'd be like, almost. I want to lower this rim because it makes me feel more comfortable. I want to hear what he says, and I want to lower it down to my personal experience. And I want to say, I already figured this thing out. I've already heard this. I agree with it intellectually. I know what the Holy Spirit's about. But yet Jesus says something so profound. It's something that's so far out of reach that we could jump and stand on top of each other all day long and never be able to build a tower to what he's saying here because Jesus says, because I go, it's to your advantage that I leave. Now, if I had a choice right here this morning, if somebody would go, Jared, you have a choice. Either you can have Jesus in his literal physical body being with you for the next three and a half years, or you can have your present experience that you have in the Holy Spirit, which one would I choose? I'll ask the flip version, flip version of that, whatever I just said. Apologize if I just cursed. I didn't intend that. The flip version of that would be what? What would you do if somebody said you can have Jesus stand beside you for the next X amount of years, the rest of your life, or you can have your present experience of the Holy Spirit in your life? What would we say? Odds have it, we'd probably go, you know what, I think I'll just take Jesus. I'd, I'd rather have a literal, physical Jesus uh, right? But yet, two things are wrong with that. One, it contradicts what Jesus tells us. And then two, we weaken the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Number one, he says it's to your advantage. What, why is he telling us this? 
It's to your advantage that I go. That doesn't make sense to me because if I had Jesus right here, I'd much rather listen to him speak today than me. I know you wouldn't, but I would. Okay. I'd much rather listen to Jesus here to go, wow, church was great. What happened today? Jesus preached. <laughs> kind of cool. Kind of, he, I don't know. He healed everybody. Everything was made right. I mean, this whole room, when he left, it looked like heaven. It was, it was back to the way God created things. I'd much rather have that. But yet Jesus says, you know what? It's, it's, best, if, it's best if I leave. If I was a disciple, you know, everyone busts on Peter the disciple, man, I would have been louder than him. It's best that I go, nah, Jesus, you're wrong about that one. Definitely, you definitely are mistaken. It is not good that you go. Definitely not. It's best that, no. You said, what? I'm hard of hearing. No, Jared, I healed you that. Oh, sorry. Uh, No, it's definitely, you're wrong. It's not best that you go. Why? Because my life is perfect and... Uh, everywhere we go, heaven t- touches earth. So why would you leave and then you'd say it's better because I can't do these things that you're doing. I can't. I can't, I can't do this. So you're going to tell me it's an advantage that you go? I don't like this at all. But yet Jesus doesn't back down from that. And then he says this, but unless I go, and then he fills it in for us. And he says, this is, this is it. Unless I go, the helper. Now, let's, let's redefine that word helper there because we think helper is like, uh, you know, you got your you know, son or daughter that's in elementary school. Oh, you want to be my helper while we're cooking today? You know, it's like, okay. And they sit there and, you know, don't chop your fingers off. Just pass the sugar. Like, we, th- we think helper, we reduce the idea of helper down to somebody that kind of sits back and watch this. We reduce the idea of Helper is somebody that sits back. We do our own thing, and occasionally the helper goes, I'm here. We go, aren't you cute? Thanks. Aren't you the big little, which is an interesting paradox, big little something? You're you're such a helper. We think helper is as if a junior reduced role where we are involved and the helper occasionally helps. But the interesting thing is uh, we understand that scripturally, the word helper here doesn't come to our mind as if it's just some, you know, uh, elementary student that's helping us cook or clean or wash the car or something like that. He's, he's scripturally, the helper is the paraclete. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the same substance, full part of the Godhead. He is a person. It's not just a reduced helper, a junior Holy Spirit that I'm involved in my normal life and then he comes in and helps me. But he is of the same substance of the Godhead. He's a, let me, if you're not familiar with the term Godhead, we're speaking of uh, God the Creator. The Holy Spirit is uh, involved in creation. He is perfectly God. As Christians, we don't believe in God and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We believe that three in one, three beautiful persons that all together are one. You try to figure that out, I can't. Jesus says, it's for your advantage I go because unless I go, the helper won't come. Now, again, we, we have, imagine with me that you're in this scenario where you can either take um, the literal physical Jesus in the body or your present understanding of the Holy Spirit in your life. Which one would we take? Most of us would take Jesus in his literal physical body. 
But yet the scripture tells us something different. Now, turn with me just for one more moment. Uh, Flip back to John chapter 14. What precludes this, or what comes before this, Jesus says this. John chapter 14, verse 12. And I I want you to hear this because, interestingly enough, we may interpret this through our own lenses and we can get off and whatever, get, you know, weird on some things, but just, just listen to what God's word says and then let's just deal with it. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father, he's using the exact same language. Whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. He's using the exact same language. He's saying anybody that believes because I'm going to the Father, something is going to transpire here. This is, this is, again, we should look at these words and rather than water them down and try to understand our human experience and go, yeah, you know, that doesn't really mean that he's going to, we're going to do greater works than Jesus. Well, let me help you if you just look at the language again, if you try to interpret that as greater works as in uh, exponential or greater than, it doesn't matter which one you do because he says the works that I do, you will do the same. The same works. What a standard of Christianity. What Something so far beyond us, so impossible, so beyond our imagination that when we come to this, honestly, the natural mind should look at it and go, I don't even believe in this stuff anymore because it's just outrageous. The natural mind should just check out and go, "Uh, I can't do this. And the truth is, you can't. The natural mind can't. The natural mind can only view Christianity through a historical lens. It can only look at it and say, well, Jesus died, rose from the beginning. Someday we'll get to heaven. You've really got to make spiritual origami of the Bible to make your vision of Christianity look like that. What Jesus sets out for us is this. It's an unfair advantage that the church of Jesus Christ has because I'm going to the Father. An unfair advantage. I don't know how many times... In my own life, I just was going, I just wish Jesus was here physically, literally in his body. I just wish he was here. But yet the standard, he says, is this. It's unfair advantage that I go. Why? Because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come to you. I feel like I'm boring you with this, and I think it's because we need to see this as reality in our own lives. I'm going to close quickly start off by saying in Isaiah chapter 55 that the word of God, Christianity, centered around God taking impossible, invisible, broken down situations. His word comes into it and changes it. If Christianity is just a doctrine that we adhere to, if it's just beliefs that we can check off, then we've missed the point of why Christ has come. We have. There's no use. I mean, how silly is it if we can say, that he fills us with peace that passes all understanding, but yet our lives are filled with absolute distress. I will quote it. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, but all we do is live in fear. Is that, where's the, is it really working? 
My prayer and my hope, again, is that as we start our series in the next few weeks about rejoicing a city, we shouldn't look at the scripture and go, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. That should not be our first thought. Our first thought shouldn't be able to look at the Bible and go, yeah, I can do that, I'm I'm all set. Our first thought is, there's no way on earth I can do any of this. Zilch. I can't. Shot. Race is done, I'm still in the starting blocks. With my warm-up gear on, my breaker pants. I just got lapped. Was the race going to win? We should look at Christianity and go, God, without you, moving here. This is done. This is toast. My Christian life, without you infusing it with your spirit, without you awakening it, making it alive, is just a bunch of nonsense. I know that, I know that sounds weird, but is, the standard that he gives us is so much higher. It's just, it's so high. The first thought that I have when I hear Jesus say, the works I do, you will do in greater, the first thing I should say is No. Nope. If you, I don't know. I'm just thinking, I think I'm too realist. I'm too much into like things that are concrete and physical. I'm too much of a yes or no. Yes, no. There's no, there's no gray area in there. When Jesus says the works I do, and even greater, the first thing that should come to my mind is absolutely not. No way on earth. Talk about Jesus using you in your situation at home work and your family, making things restored new, first thing I should be is like, no way, I can't do that. My heart should be filled with sorrow, absolute grief, but, but, if I understand what he accomplished, if I understood what he accomplished, if I really understand my answer in my natural mind is no. But now, as a new creation in Christ, answer is yes. When I read a scripture like that, what I hear is snow comes down on a briar. The next morning, what's there? A briar. Snow comes down on some thorns. What's there the next day? Thorns. Because that's what Jared Ruddy's ability is. I can't even plant a garden. I did a decent job watering these red things on stage, whatever they're called, petunias or whatever they are. Things. That one's a little. That one's struggling by the lamp or whatever. I can't even. I don't even know what names are. What are those things called? Pan, poinsettias. I want to say Panzarelli. That's somebody's last name here. Odds have it. <laughs> or a pizza place downtown. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> These panzarellis are beautiful here this morning. I can barely water a panzarelli. I want to I challenge you at the new year. What happens often? New Year's resolutions. I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to go to the gym. First two weeks of the gym are slam-packed. And all of you fitness people laugh at us who don't do that, except for the first two weeks. Let us enjoy our first two weeks. We make New Year's resolutions like, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and this. 
But yet we miss one thing in the equation. We miss the glory of God. We miss God's glory. We, we miss it. Because all we do is we look at our human equation. We say, here's thorns. I know what I'm going to answer the thorns with. My ability to water those thorns. What we need to do in areas of our lives is come before thorns and briars. And we need to say, Lord, all I can do is give it your word. I need you to infuse it and do something. I need you to change something because in my power, I can't do anything. Last thing, if I could have uh, Ben or some, someone with a guitar, preferably that played this morning, that would help. Ben, if you can come. I mean, unless Will feels led this morning, I don't think he does, though. <laughs> no. That would be miraculous, though. I'm so thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because I, I, I want to reduce this thing so just down to natural humanism. And it's not. Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. You ever had anyone speak to you spirit and life? Changes you in a moment. I mean spirit and life. When I say the word bicycle, what comes into your mind? Not a trick question, don't worry. Bicycle. When I say car, what comes to your mind? Car. As my wife would say, what do they say in Buffalo? Care. When I say house, what comes into your mind? House. When I say spirit in life, what comes into your mind? Try it. You, you can't really get anything to come to your mind. You can think of things that possess spirit, things that possess life, like grass has life, or uh, a child running around, or rejoicing, has spirit, or team spirit, but it's totally abstract. There's nothing, when Jesus says the words that I speak to are spirit and life, he doesn't say the words that I speak to you are information. The words that I speak to you, information carries spirit. Information carries life. If there's not a divine transaction in the reading of the scripture, a divine transaction in worship, if there's not something where the Holy Spirit actually comes and changes things. That if when we worship him, he doesn't come down and change briars to cypress. He doesn't change thorns into myrtle trees. And he is not involved. Can we stand this morning? My prayer is that we can ask him now in these next few moments to infuse our worship. Unless you're, unless you've graduated beyond humanity, there should be a part of this that is so impossible that we could never do it. We should look at it and say there's not a chance on earth that I could even fulfill an ounce of this. We can't. But if we understand the resurrection, then I don't have to try. I don't have to apply this. I don't have to give it my best effort. I can say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Change me. Give me a new heart. And what was impossible now becomes logical.
Wouldn't that be a profound way to live? If your first thought, when something was impossible, the first most logical thought would be God moving, God changing, God showing up visiting. Wouldn't that be a wild way to live? The first thought we have is God's going to do something. Let's pray. Father, our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit, is that you would infuse our lives. Lord, what is church if we just preach messages to facilitate a service? Lord, we need you to visit us. There's briars in our lives this morning. There's thorns in our lives. We need your word to change them. Thank you that we don't have to beautify ourselves. We don't have to transform ourselves. We don't have to try to do this, Lord. We just look at it and say, apart from you, my flesh, there's no good thing. But Lord, in you, I have everything. Lord, we want to treasure you this morning Make much of you this morning. Glorify you this morning. My prayers for those that are depressed, that your joy would fill them this morning. That your, the word of God, like rain and snow, would transform us. Those that are sick, you would come and heal. Those that are wounded, Lord, I pray that you would visit us. I want to share one thing. Hold it with the guitar just for one moment, really quickly. Rather than rushing out of here this morning, we're not, we're not going to hold you very long. I just want to simply share this. God wants to do something here in our presence this morning. Some of it, may we may see a full completion of it. Some of it might just be the beginning. I drove a 1990 or 2001 or 99 Dodge Intrepid. Um, it was awful. Terrible. You might think the 91 Dodge and Trevor 99 is not that bad. Three out of four windows were broke. Its air conditioner sent out heat like Hades. You'd, you'd leave uh, needing to lotion your face. In a black interior, when you touched it, felt like your skin became one with the seat. It leaked oil, and if, I don't know if you ever got your oil filled up at Jiffy Lube, but they'll top off your uh, liquids for free. The guy at Jiffy Lube would curse me out when I'd come because I'd go so many times between oil changes. Honest to God. I got so accustomed to the car making noises that I would just make sure the music was louder. How many people drive a car like that? You start hearing a noise, you go, what was that? I think it's time for a new CD. Because you start to be able to actually hear beneath the sound of the music. They should make a play or something after that. I drove this car for so long, literally all over, all over the place. And then I was able to get a new car. I bought my Toyota Corolla, had air conditioning in it. The first time I got air conditioning, I can't tell you. I hit that, it felt like ice hitting my face. It was marvelous. And for the first few weeks and months, I would drive the car waiting for something to break down. You ever had this experience? You get a new car, and the whole time you drive it, you wait in nervousness. And you're like, 
And it, it actually took me a handful of months to realize it's not normal for a car to break down. I know that sounds weird, but I encourage you, go get a junky car and drive around for six months and you'll know what the rest of us feel like. When I got that new car, I couldn't figure out that this was what life is actually supposed to look like. And everybody else, don't look, they don't look like they're being tortured when they drive somewhere. They don't sweat. And I understood why somebody can come out and look actually happy when closing the car door. But I say that to say this. We can become so accustomed to dysfunction. We can become so accustomed, please hear me, because I know that I'm not trying to be ignorant of the medical field in this. We can become so accustomed to being depressed that we actually just think it's normal. We just think, well, it's normal. Now, I'm not trying to make an extreme statement. I understand there's other things and if, that, can, that can run into that. We just become so accustomed, though, to life just being, well, whatever. So the point, just kind of look at it and we go, well, that's a briar. It's going to be a briar the rest of my life. That's a thorn. It's just going to be a thorn. It's just there. Christianity shows us this thing that just says when the word of God comes like snow, it can change briars to cypress trees. It can turn thorns into myrtle trees. This morning, I'm not going to try to diagnose everybody here. I don't have that ability. I'm just going to simply say, let's hold some things before the Lord in our lives for a few moments as we worship him and say, you know what? Maybe I've embraced this thing as a thorn, and maybe you want to heal it. I don't know. Maybe you're going to do something, and I'm going to let you have that opportunity to do it. It's really hard for God to move in our lives when we embrace it as normal, or if we embrace it as him. Let's just be able to release a few things to the Lord and say, God, heal me this morning. I trust that you're doing something. Can we do that? If we, not, if we can't, um, I will, and you can watch me this morning. So let's pray. Okay, Lord, thank you. As we worship you this morning, thank you for a marvelous Christmas. That history shows us that there was a person, Jesus Christ, that broke into human history, wreaked so much havoc that they had to crucify him. But Lord, death could not hold him. Lord, this morning my prayer is that you would begin a process in our life of turning thorn bushes into myrtle trees, Lord, turning briars into cypress trees, Lord, things that are so broken and wounded in our lives. Our prayer this morning, God, is that you turn the dysfunction. I'm praying, I don't know who you are, but I just sense like, uh, if you're in an ab- abusive relationship or something, the Lord is going to just begin to change that. You change your heart so that you don't just embrace that as normal. God would bring freedom even here this morning into um, those relationships. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me just for a few moments. God, we give you our hearts. We ask for your word to transform us. We see impossible situations in our lives. Impossible situations and we need you.
we need you. Lord, we need you this morning. By the power of your word. Change us, transform us. Give us a new heart, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us. Be our helper, Lord. Lord, we say help this morning. Lord, we say help us, Lord, this morning. Help us, Lord. Take control. Take control this morning, Lord. Take control of our lives, of our hearts. Take control. He can't help us unless we ask Him. Lord, help us this morning. Take control. Take control, Lord. Lord, take control. Take control, Lord. Take control, Lord. Take control, Lord. We love you. Let's just sing this for a moment.